Greetings, and welcome to the East Village Times Podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and uh, with me as usual, we have Patrick Brewer. What's going on, Patrick? How are you doing today, man? It's been a while, man. Doing good. Yeah, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus. We apologize to folks. Uh, things just come up. We've uh, we've been extremely busy, but uh, we are back, and we promise to provide more exclusive content uh, when we can. Uh, Padres are in a little bit of a tailspin right now. Um, they were just about uh, just under 500 la- our last podcast, and uh, now they are currently 10 games under, uh, 10 and a half behind the Giants after being swept this weekend in San Francisco. Um, any quick thoughts, Patrick, about uh, the performance this weekend? It's pretty bad when you get swept twice by the same team in a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the law of averages would, would dictate that they would win a game, but uh, it just didn't happen. I mean, two or three uh, it is what Dodgers it is. is nice, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, but it was brutal not getting that that that, uh, that sweep with the Dodgers. I think that's what pretty much sent them in a tailspin again. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have 17 innings and you have seven, eight chances to, to walk off and, and you don't do it, it's it's, uh, it's a demoralizing thing. Yeah, definitely. All right, folks. Uh, with us for uh, episode 22 of our podcast, uh, we are excited to have uh, Kyle Glazer here with us, who uh, just started this Monday at uh, Baseball America. Uh, what's going on, Kyle? How are you doing today, man? Fine, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Not a problem. Not a problem. I apologize. I know we've uh, we've had to we've had to reschedule you a couple times, and, and you know things come up. But I, I thank you so much for taking the time off to to talk to us. We uh, we're big fans of your work. Uh, your your writings are, are are done extremely well, and it's uh, no surprise that Baseball America picked you up, man. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, a great organization that I'm glad to be a part of, and uh, looking forward to uh, this next uh, this next chapter. Although I will miss. Uh, some of the Padres beat stuff day to day, but it's all good. Yeah. Um, you, so, are you going to be doing a lot of stuff at Petco still with the Padres, or is it going to be mostly minor leagues type stuff? Uh, I will be down there. Uh, I will be down okay. there. It won't be invisible. It's going to be sort of a mix. I mean, I'm doing a lot of prospects work, a lot of you know what's coming up through the farm, particularly on the West Coast for for all teams. You know, Padres, Angels, Dodgers, etc. Uh, uh-huh. But there's absolutely going to be times where uh, you know getting down to Petco and writing about something what's going on you know both what's peco dodger stadium angel stadium you know anything anything uh interesting happening i'll be there nice nice yeah i know you're well versed in uh in all of uh, southern california baseball um you know let's let's start off with a little bit of minor league uh stuff i know that uh, last night you had a chance to see uh denilson lament pitch uh talk to us about that right-hander and, and what you've seen uh, firsthand from him He's special. Uh, Baseball America, yeah. my, my new organization, had him as the number 17 prospect in the Padres organization before the year started. And the reason for that was he was a two-pitch pitcher. Now, if you're going to be a starter, you need three pitches. And he developed that third pitch. Uh, Glendon Rush, you may remember the ex-big league reliever, is now the pitching coach in Lake Elsinore. He really worked with Lament on developing a changeup. And now that he's added that changeup, He's a bona fide, you know, front of the rotation type of prospect. Three plus pitches, really good arm speed, really good movement. The biggest thing is poise. You know, you talk about guys. This is the second full professional season. A lot of these guys need three, four, five years of seasoning. And the biggest thing you see at these lower levels is maturity and some of the little things: holding base runners, staying mentally sharp when there's a runner on third, and no outs. And this guy has just got the moxie, he got the maturity. He bears down, gets outs. He has allowed a 106 batting average with runners in scoring position this year. 106. Wow. I mean, that's you know yeah. incredible. Any level you're at, then you're doing it in the Cal League, which is an incredibly hitter-friendly league. 
Uh, the Padres really have something here. He was a late signee in yeah. the sense he was 21 when he signed out at the Dominican. You normally hear about the 16-year-olds, but he looks the part. I think, um, you know, to be frank, there's not a lot worth getting excited about in the Padres system. Uh, Pitching-wise, at AAA or AA, I think Lamette's the first guy you see in this system you say, I like this guy as a potential starter down the line. Then there's a bunch of kids down in Fort Wayne uh, with Jacob Nix, Neil De Los Santos, uh, yeah. Austin Smith, uh, Brett Kennedy, who's just promoted to Lake Elsinore and is finding his way. But I would I would argue that you know right now Lamette, look, he leads the entire Padres minor league system in ERA, and he's up there in WHIP among starters. I think you can make the argument he's their number one starting pitching prospect in their system right now. Yeah, no, he's definitely progressed uh, beyond any imagination. I mean, it's it's nice to see young players. Um, blossom like that. Have you had a chance to t- personally talk to him, or uh, I have pick his brain. Very, very okay. amiable guy. You know, big smile. First of all, he's he's big too. He's a big, strong guy. He's not you know a stick. Again, sometimes you see players coming from the Dominican or Cuba, and just because of you know poverty or, or just the socioeconomics of, of, of wherever they're at, um, a lot of times they're very thin. There's not a lot of weight on them, and that that's part of the progression of coming over to the states. Uh, Lamette, yeah, A, he's a little bit older, but B, I mean, he's a big, strong, well-built kid who also just, you know, even though you need a translator to speak with him, you can see uh, the intelligence, the brightness, the, the the big personality in a good way. Uh, I think he hits all nice. the intangibles. I really do. Cool. That's that's good to hear. It's good to hear. That, uh, you know, the poise is, is the most important thing, I think, for a young pitcher, and, and to display that at, at his age is, is really something special. Yeah, you know, I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, people talk about it. Oh, you know, the adjustment coming over to the U.S. But, you know, having covered baseball at the major league level, through the minors, into college and high school, I've really gotten to see up close how difficult it can be. I mean, you're still talking about it. I mean, imagine being 18, moving to a new country where you don't speak the language and your family is far away and you've never really traveled before. It, it's intimidating for a lot of guys. And so I always am curious to see the guys who handle it better than others that goes a long way toward if they reach their potential more than i think some people think about and yeah. uh, so i think it's always good when you see a guy with that level of talent then you add in just all we talked about i think it bodes very well for the padres as long as they you know keep keep him in their system which they haven't done with some of the more promising starting pitching prospects recently uh yeah. and you know, continue to develop him Definitely, you know, it's, he's an exciting player and uh, you know we're hopefully he'll, he'll show that progression at the the higher the higher levels of the of the minor leagues. Um, I have a question for you about uh, Michael Kelly, who was recently promoted to San Antonio. Did you have a chance to see him uh, pitch when he was at Lake Elsinore this year? Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, I, he's a guy. I mean, you look at him, and, and don't get me wrong, he's a good pitcher. Uh, he's, he's not a guy that jumps out at you. You know, I think looking back at other guys in the pottery system throughout the years, uh, you know, I wouldn't say, "Ooh, Michael Kelly is a guy to watch." But you know what? I mean, if he it's off to a nice start at Double A, and you just kind of keep promoting him until he, uh, until he, until he doesn't do it. Yeah, yeah. No, he's had he's had a good series uh, of of starts here in Double A, and it's kind of a I don't want to say surprising, but it's 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 nice to see because uh, you know San Antonio and uh, El Paso have both uh, starving for for young pitchers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, El Paso uh, up until recently was 150th out of 150 minor league teams across all levels in ERA. And they're using a lot of. Uh, Old vets who uh, who's yeah. past and, and some other guys who who have never been you know considered major league caliber guys. So 
think the more arms the Padres can get in their system, the better. And, and really, I mean, they desperately need that. You know, Cesar Vargas was their worst-case scenario. Oh, crap, we need a starting pitcher this year guy. Well, Erlen goes down, Ross goes down, and all of a sudden you're there with Vargas. And, and you know, one of the things I've talked about with some other people is, you know, in the past, beginning January 2014 through, you know, January 2016, I mean, two calendar years, they traded... The Padres traded Matt Andrews, Joe Ross, Matt Whistler, and, and Ronald Herrera last year, who's now killing it for the Yankees AAA group. And, you know, if you're going to trade a young arm or two, it's fine. It's the price of getting some good players. But if you make a habit of it and keep trading good young arm after good young arm after good young arm, it's going to catch up with you. And we're seeing that right now. The Padres have very little organizational depth pitching-wise. You look at Joe Ross and Matt Whistler and Matt Andrews all killing it in other organizations, and they were all in the majors last year. It's not like these were guys who were four years away at the time the Padres traded them. These are guys that would have helped them both in the present and in the future. Padres chose to part with them, and Dries in particular, I think, was a trade that was uh, unnecessary and uh, hurt them more than they realized. And uh, they're paying the price for that now. So I think as soon as Michael Kelly or Denison Lamed or really anyone can come up and show something uh, as, as far as starting pitching goes, uh, the Padres need it desperately. Yeah, it's certainly been rough to see so many good young pitchers move to other teams. But uh, I'm going to get a little off topic here, and I, I hate to do this on a Padres podcast, but I, I wanted your thoughts on Julio Arias, who's going to be making his Major League debut tomorrow. I wanted your thoughts. I don't know what you've seen. I don't know if you've seen him in person before. But yeah, obviously... I have. You know, it, it was interesting. I saw when he was in Rancho Cucamonga, and I was actually on the conservative side with him. A lot of people were like, oh, my gosh, this kid's great, and he was 17, and don't get me wrong, you could see the stuff, but my concern was there was a time he was walking a lot of guys. He never got, he never went through the lineup, you know, more than once. He'd go four innings at a time. And, you know, one of the things I learned as well, just years of covering this, is everyone can look great their first three innings. It's how those starting pitchers get through the second time through the order that really will show you what they are and what they have. So for Urias, when I saw him, there were way too many pitches that were outside the strike zone. And because he never went through a second time, I, I, I had some doubts about, you know, okay, is he as good as everyone says he is? And to his credit, you know, and hey, I'll be the first to say, you know, anyone who's ever tried to project a 17, 18-year-old in A-ball, I will tell you there's some they've been right on, some they've been wrong on, and, and I've been wrong. You know, he came out and through double A AA and triple A, you know, tightened up his command, which was his biggest thing. And on top of that, started going those six-inning outings while he hasn't gone beyond that. That's better than what he was doing before when he was going three and a third, four innings. And they might be shutout innings, but he'd have four walks and, and never you know, got a chance to let hitters make an adjustment against him. So I think you know, there's a lot of hype with him. I think you know, if he comes up, and you know, the major leagues is a huge jump. He might struggle, and people need to not freak out if and when that happens. Uh, clearly, I think he's answered some of the questions I had. And, uh, you know, he's just an exciting young talent and see what he can do. Yeah, I think the biggest hurdle for him is what you mentioned, pitch counts, going deep in games, because he hasn't really gone past the sixth, in, the sixth inning ever, really. And he, I don't think he's thrown past, what, 90, 80 pitches this year. So yeah. it, it's definitely going to be touch and go for them. But at this point, I think the Dodgers just, just really need a warm body to come up and throw some innings for them with how many injuries they've had and how many issues they've had in their uh, rotation. So I think... I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him pitch. Definitely, it should should be exciting. Yeah, you know, and, and that's you know one of the things. I'm of the opinion that you know people say, well, you know, we we he's 
he's major league ready, but he needs to be able to, you know, get to that seventh inning. I'm of the opinion, if they can't pitch seven innings, they're not major league ready. I think that's huge, being able to have a starter that can get through a lineup two to three times. Um, I mean, that, that in and of itself is a developmental hurdle that needs to be crossed. I think Urias, you know, people say the six innings and the, and the pitch count. I, I think he's shown the ability to work quickly, get through lineups quickly, and, and, and turn it over. Again, it's not like, you know, it's one of those things. Scott Kazmir has always been a guy I've felt is beyond overrated because he goes five innings. He might have ten strikeouts, but he'd go five, five, and a third. He'd walk five guys and have ten strikeouts. And, you know, aside from one or two good years in Tampa Bay, you look at him, there's been a lot of bad years in there. So, you know, I think the hope is Urias can come up and at least get you through the lineup twice. Even just get through that sixth, that will be a, uh, that will be a bump up from what a lot of the Dodgers are currently doing. So I think he straddled the line. You're right, Patrick, that he, he needs to be able to get into that 80-90 pitch range to really be a major league caliber starter. But given the Dodgers' situation and, and given what he is able to do now, you know, I, I think it's not a terrible move. Yeah, I, I agree that the biggest issue for a major league pitcher is being able to get through at least two times through the lineup and obviously st- start that third time through because that's usually when pitchers go wrong, at least the pitchers that lack that sort of skill. So I'm um, kind of in relation to that topic, I want to talk about Andrew Kashner, who seems to have that sort of problem. He always gets maybe through five innings pretty well and it seems like always the sixth inning maybe the seventh inning he starts to fall apart a bit give up some runs struggle so what are your thoughts on that and what do you think uh some adjustments he could make perhaps to to fix that situation (laughs) i'm trying to think how best to say this without getting people mad at me (laughs) look andrew so andrew kashner um is obviously very very talented uh, in terms of his ability to, you know, generate some velocity. Um, I think in the past he's absolutely been guilty of just kind of rearing back and throwing rather than pitching. Um, I think in terms of, you know, finding ways to get hitters out is not his strong suit. You know, his strong suit is he's a fireballer who get up there and, and you know, let it rip. Um, and I think as, as you turn that lineup over the first time into the second, and especially the second into the third, you know, you have to be able to throw that first pitch breaking ball for a strike. You have to be able to change the hitter's eye level. You have to be able to make those type of adjustments uh, mentally and physically. And, you know, that a lot of times is the great separator between a, a, a top of the rotation guy and a mid rotation guy. And, and I, you look at Andrew Kashner, you know, not just this year, but even back to last year. I mean, his performance is that of a mid to bottom rotation guy. I mean, just, just, the straight performance. I mean, kind of objectively, you know, independent of anything else, you can get excited over, wow, look at that fastball he threw in the second inning. It, you know, it, it, that's not what makes you, you know, what makes you a top of the rotation guy is your production. Um, and right now, pretty consistently, that production hasn't been there. And, and I think that the problem you get with Andrew Kashner is he's not a young kid anymore. I mean, he's a vet. And if he, he still is not showing the ability or willingness, whatever you want to call it, to back off the fastball, change hitters' eye levels, change their, you know, ch- get them, you know, guessing a little more, and he still just tries to go out there and rip it, grip it and rip it, I mean, that's who he is. And, and I think, you know, you kind of have to accept that at this point and say, look, if, uh, going into a season expecting Andrew Cashman to be a number two starter and give us seven, eight quality innings every time he get, takes the ball, 
it's just as much as we can want that, he's, you know, five, six seasons in here. It's not who he is. I think you need to recalibrate expectations and realize he's a number four guy who will look good for a few innings, have a bad inning or two, and finish the year with a with a four two ERA. And you gotta just kind of accept that. I mean that's that's valuable. You need that. You know, and occasionally he'll go out and give you a great start where everything's clicking, but you know, at the end of the year you're gonna look up and he's twelve and eleven with a four two ERA and kind of <laughs> is what it is. Yeah, I agree. He's probably the most frustrating pitcher I've ever seen on a day on a weekly basis I should say. Because it's like the stuff is there, and he's got such great stuff, but it's just he's never able to take that extra step and, and make himself into a, a top of line starter. So well, I don't know if that's ever really going to come. You know, and, and again, just one of the things, you know, again, just being around the game for for a while and at all levels, and and just you know, also playing, you know, myself, but but mostly, you know, not that I played at that high of a level. Mostly just you know being around the game and talking. You realize that you know when a lot of times we see. The scouting reports are watching guy, you know, we just pay attention to the velo and occasionally the break on the break on, on the curveball. Oh God, look, you know, how many foot how many feet that one broke, or wow, it was ninety seven on the paint. And you realize that at the major league level, you know, those aren't the separators. The separators are can you change, you know, hitters' eye levels? Can you get them guessing in the box? Can you you know, throw that 97-mile-an-hour fastball in the first inning, come back at the same guy with a 79-mile-an-hour changeup on his second at-bat and come back at him with a, you know, dirty slider on the corner so that the hitter has no idea what's coming. Yeah. I mean, those are the separators. And, you know, guys can have velo all they want if they don't have either the kind of the mental understanding of what's happening just because, you know, look, some people are smarter than others. That's true in baseball. It's true in life. Uh, if you don't have that, or if you don't have kind of the um, the track record of being able to execute in those later innings, that, I mean that that as much as anything is the separator between you know number one starter and number four. There's plenty of number fours out there who throw 95, 96, but you look at their you know their fun, their their outings. They're five and two thirds. You know, five hits, three walks. You know, three runs and five strikeouts. I mean that that's you know the velo is great. It's just. They don't have that 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 pitch ability, if you will. Yeah, no, uh, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. That was a great assessment of Cashner, uh, and as well as Casimir, for that matter. You know, sometimes pitchers just need to pitch to contact and and get those quick outs. Uh, you know, it's better it's for the long run of the team. It, it, you know, taxing the bullpen is, is a is a horrible thing in the long run for a team and. Pitchers just need to go out there and, and like you say, not not be afraid to take something off. Um, Kashner is a prime example of someone who gets in trouble and and overthrows. Uh, and um, you, you just you, your assessment of, of him was pretty spot on. Um, you know, I'm wondering if his future uh, would be in the bullpen. If if you think that that's uh, something that that uh, he could uh, handle. I mean, I think he could handle it. But again, I think that would actually be be a waste because. You know, as much as we talk about, you know, Andrew Cashner and what he struggles at, look, he can still give you five, six quality innings, you know, when, you know, and, and figure out, you know, and be a serviceable starter who can give you, you know, those 30 starts. So I think, look, Andrew Cashner, when I talk about expectations with him, I think a lot of people, you know, after that, that breakout year a few years ago, oh my God, he's a future number one. And, and even into this year, after last year's bad year, like, you know, he could be a number two, number three. And, no, I think the expectation needs to be more four or five, that twelve and eleven, four twenty ERA guy, um, which is still way better than putting him in the bullpen. I mean, you, you need that, especially yeah. for a, a, a team as lacking in starting pitching depth as the Padres. 
Kashner serviceable. Just I think people need to stop expecting him to be an all-star caliber guy. I mean, he's he's never you know except for one you know season, he's never been that. And and you know there's he hasn't shown. I mean, look, we're not talking about three or four bad starts here. We're talking about forty bad starts. You know, or, or forty yeah. starts like this dating back to last year, where it's just the same same thing and this is what he is but no I think you leave him in the rotation and I think that if you okay. try and move him at the trade deadline there will be people interested we all know teams overpay for pitching at the trade deadline yeah. um, so no, I don't think you put him in the bullpen you just don't go into a season expecting him you know to go 15 and 5 with a with a 2-8 you expect him going in you know 11 and 11 with a 420 yeah you know let, let's talk about the future of Kester. Uh you know this is his contract year um, he is on the cusp of being um, if getting the compensatory pick. Do you do you think the Padres are going to hold on to him and resist the temptation to deal him at the deadline and potentially get the pick? I mean, if Ian Kennedy got a, got um, money that's worthy of a, of a compensatory pick, you would think that um, Kashner would be along those those lines as well. Uh, what, what's your gut feeling on, on what the Padres would? Do you think they'll try to deal him for for young talent, or will they hold on to him in uh, an attempt to, to gain a pick? So if they did hold on to him, they'd absolutely get the pick. You have a very, very weak starting pitching market coming up in 2017, especially now that Steven Strasburg is yeah. uh, locked up in Washington. So Kashner is going to get paid because, again, there's going to be you know some scouts or some teams out there that say, oh, we can fix him. Same as you know Scott Kasmer kept getting new deals despite just being terrible with the Angels, and then he was okay, you know, and okay with Cleveland, showed a little bit of something in Oakland, went to Houston, wasn't that great, now he's struggling with the Dodgers again. I mean, there's guys like that who have who have velo and have a frame that scouts love. Someone will, will overpay, frankly. Someone will give him a shot, and the Potters would absolutely get the compensation pick. Um, I think in terms of what happens at the deadline, that's really up to Andrew Kashner. I mean, if, if – you know, he comes out and, and has more outings like he did against San Francisco, where he was able to really limit the damage and, and make some good things happen. Yeah, I think then the Padres could probably get a, a decent package for him, especially as, you know, more starting pitchers get hurt here as the summer goes on. But if he, you know, regresses back to, to the guy we saw before he went on the DL, where he was struggling to get through, you know, the third or fourth inning then the Padres might just say, you know, there's not a package out there that we feel like we can get that's going to be worth the pick we're going to get. So I think that really depends on Andrew Kashner, but I, I I don't think there's a there's a scenario in which he's a Padre after this season. No, yeah, I, I think that, that, that writing's pretty much on the wall. I, I, you know, I think that the team and himself would have already come to an agreement on a, on a long-term deal if, if both were in favor of that. So, it, you know, it seems like he, he is going to end up in, somewhere else in, in the 2017 season, so you know AJ Preller has has a lot of decisions to make as far as the future of this team. Um, another one uh, that's recently come up is the the, the regression of Derek Norris and uh, the fact that Christian Bentoncourt is really blossoming. So, give me your thoughts on uh, the Bentoncourt uh, Norris issue right now, and you know Hedges is also down, you know getting better and and uh, should be back soon. So. It clouds the catching situation. Do you, what do you? Uh, what's your gut feeling on, on what the Padres uh, will do eventually with the catching situation? You know, again, it's, it, I think Derek Norris having his struggles comes at the worst possible time because it really uh, eliminates a lot of the opportunities the Padres could have had to potentially get something at the deadline. Um, they did the right thing going into the season with Betancourt and 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 Norris and putting Hedges in AAA. It was just it was very funny to me. All these people saying. 
Austin Hedges is major league ready. Major league ready yeah. means you can hit at a major league level, field at a major league level, make contact at a major league level, have patience at the major league level. I mean, being major league ready is all encompassing, and Austin Hedges was nowhere near that. He needed or needs a, a full year in AAA, a full round of AAA at bat. So I think they did the right thing at the beginning of the year. But it, it's tricky now. Um, again, I'm trying to think how I can say this without without getting into too much trouble. That's the one in the podcast. <laughs> um, you know, my, my first impression of Derek Norris this year, to be honest, when I walked into the clubhouse, you know, I was like, oh, he, he bulked up, you know, to get through a season better. When I walked in and saw him, it, it didn't look like good weight, if that makes sense. Um, you okay. know, obviously you want to bulk up and get get involved in, in you know, you know, you don't need to be to be skinny, especially as a catcher. But if you're talking about adding 20 pounds, it just it just the visual of it didn't look like 20 pounds of muscle. If you get my drift, and and uh-huh. I think that that hurt him a little bit. I mean, his you, you look, he's he's a little everything he's doing is a little bit slower. You know, his swing is a little bit slower. I mean, it's it's all I don't know. I, I think that that's part of it. Um, and then I, I don't really have any other answers beyond. You know, once that happens and you get in a slump and you start to doubt yourself, you know, it's, it's kind of a downward spiral. And I think he's shown yeah. looks like he's coming out of it and then he goes right back. You know, if I'm the Padres, I say, you know, we need guys who are producing. You know, screw the scouting reports. Screw what, you know, what, what you know, so-and-so once said about so-and-so at X trade deadline. We need to go with the guys who are producing. And right now... Christian Bethencourt is the guy who's producing. You know, let's not forget, this guy was a top 100 prospect who had fantastic production all throughout, kind of, you know, got into a, a bad situation in Atlanta where it just, you know, didn't click. And I spoke with him about this before the year. He admitted he was trying way too hard and, and really, you know, trying to please everyone and, and be the player they wanted him to be rather than just, you know, be the person he knows he is. And it got him into some trouble. And now he's adjusted and, and understands, you know, things. And he's in a better place. So I, I think right now it, it'd be hard to argue that the Padres wouldn't be in a better position with Christian Bethencourt you know, as their everyday catcher. Because at a certain point, you know, we're, we're seven weeks into the season here. We're, you know, we're approaching, you know, the 50-game mark, third of the way into the season. And kind of quickly spiraling. So, you know, you either yeah. need to, to, to win right now. Or, you know, if you really want to punt on the season right now, then, then maybe you start Norris and just hope he can raise his trade value. I, I think the more they choose to start Derek Norris, given what Bethencourt's doing, to me is more of a sign of they're trying to get him out of his slump to help raise his trade value rather than yeah. you know, expecting him to help the team win right now. Because even if you go back and look, last year past the All-Star break, he hit 174. He's got about a year's worth of ABs now hitting under 200. It's, it's a problem. Uh, going off of that, um, I want to talk about Matt Kemp because he's obviously the biggest contract on the books. He's the biggest name talked about. Um, do you see any scenario where the Padres can actually trade him for anything at all without eating all the money? Or are they better off just releasing him and moving on at this point? Um, I don't think there's an. I don't think that either of those is the right answer. I think you actually hold on to him. You know, he's a guy who go back and look. Even though he has a reputation as a second, you know, as, as a second uh, half guy, go back and look at his career splits. He's actually always been good in April. Then he's terrible in May and June. 
and he kicks it up in July. You know, he's still going to finish 280, 25 bombs, 100 RBIs. Um, you know, obviously the defense isn't isn't pretty, but I actually think you hold on to him. I think that, you know, right now you could trade him, you know, to an American League team needing a DH, but, you know, with the money you're either not going to get a lot back or you're going to have to, you know, take on another, you know, bad contract. You know, an example I would give would be, um, I don't know, Say trade him to the Angels, and you know take C.J. Wilson back. I mean something like that, where you know you're taking on another burdensome contract, and I think Matt Kemp is more would be more valuable to the Padres than C.J. Wilson would be right now. Um, yeah. So I I, th- I think people are oh my god this guy is falling with Matt Kemp as if this wasn't entirely predictable. He's always going to be good in April, be terrible in May and June, and kick it up a notch. You know July, August, September. Um, nice. And so I, I think I think you hold on to him. I, I do. I think he's still a presence in the middle of the lineup that makes you a better team. He's still a guy who, you know, can can be a positive effect on this club. You just have to kind of bear with it, you know, while his inevitable slumps come and go. I, I guess for me, I just I can't justify having that kind of player on a team that's more or less tanking at this point. I mean, they're not obviously tanking, but the way they're playing, it's pretty much tanking. And they have so much outfield depth in the minor leagues, guys that realistically could be playing in the bigs right now and it just seems I don't know, it just seems silly to have Matt Kemp taking all those at bats when these guys could be further further developing at the big league level, getting that chance to, to prove themselves really. You know, that that kind of brings up a, a second uh second thing with me. I, I agree with you on that, but I think there's different ways around it. I mean you know, right now, there's no excuse for Travis Jankowski to be, you know, sitting on the bench, stunting his development, you know, playing in 32 games, getting 36 at-bats. Uh, that doesn't help him. That doesn't help the Padres short-term or long-term. Uh, the best thing for them to do right now, and, and I've, roster construction is another thing I think they've, they've done a pretty poor job of recently. Uh, there's no reason to have Alex Dickerson in AAA and then Travis Jankowski sitting on the bench here, uh, here, you know, especially, you know, maybe playing an inning or two as the backup right fielder. That doesn't help anyone. Uh, the best thing for the Potters to do right now is you bring Jankowski down, you get rid of Hector Sanchez. There's no reason for him to be on this roster, and anyone who tells you otherwise is wrong. Uh, I would love to meet the the people in Shaw involved in making that decision. Um, you know, you bring up Dickerson and let him be, you know, a guy you mix in, uh, you know, starting in the corners every few days, coming in, getting some pinch hit at bats late, and uh, you know, possibly, you know, making you know another move to to bring up a. You know, a more qualified infield outfield type like a Jose Perella. I think that's the solution. I think if you go in with, you know, Matt Kemp, John Jay, and Melvin Upton Jr. as, as your everyday outfield, and you give Alex Dickerson a fair number of bats, uh, you're okay. And you do a, you have a better team than you do right now. Uh, as much as Hunter Renfro has some good things going, I, mean, I think you give him a little more time in AAA because he's shown a propensity for strikeouts. And you really want to make sure you can get through a long stretch without uh, being exposed in that way. Uh, so I, I say right now, Dickerson's the only guy down there. I say, you know, hey, this guy needs to be in the majors right now. And then I also look at the major league bench and say Travis Jankowski is being hurt long term by just sitting on the bench, especially when he has about 100 AAA at-bats to his name. He needs a lot more than that. Yeah, I, I agree that um, I guess Hunter Renfo's not totally ready, I'd say. Uh, but I, I agree with your point on Dickerson. Dickerson's a guy who probably could be playing – Maybe not every day, but he should be at the big league level, at least for the foreseeable future. But I think the solution's going to kind of come at the trade deadline because I don't see John Jay and Melvin Upton 
perhaps hanging around, at least not both of them. So I think either one or both of them gets traded, and that obviously frees up a spot. And then regardless of what happens with Matt Kemp, I think there's at least some solution there. Yeah, and, and that's going to be interesting because I think Melvin Upton, when we talk about rebuilding trade value, uh, he's built up a lot. I look at a team like Washington right now. That is getting little to no uh, little to no help from, from a lot of its outfield. And I say, hey, that, that's a team that could use Melvin Upton Jr. right now. And John Jay is a, a very valuable player, uh, both defensively and offensively. You look, I mean, in theory, you could say, hey, the Potters could trade them all and start you know, Dickerson, Margot, and Renfro. Um, I don't know if that's the smart thing to do, bring them all up at the same time right off the bat. I think you, you bring Dickerson up right now, and then you let Jankowski go down and, and you know get some more ABs down there. Uh, how you want to split center field with Margot is, is up to them. And then from there, just kind of you know bring them up when they're ready. You know, Dickerson's the one guy right now you say he is ready, he should be in the majors. Renfro and Margot, maybe they'll be ready in a month, maybe they'll be ready in, in two months, but that's kind of up to them. I, I do think, though, you're right. I think it's reasonable to expect one of those guys, uh, probably Upton, possibly Jay, gone at the deadline. Yeah, I think it's a, a pretty safe bet at least one of them's gone. Um, one last thing I wanted to discuss, uh, another contract that's large and maybe can be moved, uh, James Shields. What are your thoughts on him? Do you think he sticks around? Also, he got that looming opt-out that I, I, I don't know if he's going to take it. I, I can't really see him taking that because I don't know if he can get that sort of money. The way he's pitched, he's been kind of inconsistent. But what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are, and this is from being in the clubhouse and just watching him and hearing what he says, I actually think he's going to opt out. I think that's what will happen. I think that the Padres will try and dangle him at the deadline, but they're not going to get a decent enough package back because teams are going to be wary of that opt-out. They don't want to give up a bunch for a guy who won't be under contract with them. Hello? James Shields, I think, will take the opt-out, and here's why. He's made his money. He's made his, uh, you know, he's frustrated. I mean, he, he can say what he wants, you know, otherwise, but you look at his body language, you look at his tone when you're in the clubhouse interviewing him. He's annoyed being on a team that never scores for him. He's annoyed being on a team in last place. You know, he's 34-35. You know, priorities change. And he's at a point now where he wants a ring. You know, he's gotten close with the Royals and the Rays and gotten to the World Series and come up short. You know, his main thing right now, I absolutely believe he will opt out if he's still at the Padres, that he will opt out. And instead of taking two years 40000000 million, will take three years at 30 to go to a team that can give him a chance to win. And I think some team will give him that. Because again, the shallow pitching market. So I actually think he opts out, and it's it has a lot more to do with him and what's pretty clear in his body language and, and what he says and just you know his tone. You, you can see it when you're in the clubhouse with him, especially after starts. He's he's really really over going six innings, giving up two runs, and and getting nothing to show for it. Yeah, you you know next season's uh, pitching market is really shallow, and, and he, you, you, I think uh, it's pretty safe to say that he is going to explore other options with uh, with his 2017 season. It's you know it's it's sad because Padre fans might complain about uh, the performance that Shields uh, puts up, um, being that he's not a true ace, if you will, but he does go out there and does put a quality start after quality start. He's healthy. You know, it, it's it's a shame that uh, he's a waste, if you will, on a team that's just not performing. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things too. I think people have talked about him like, oh, he's a total bust. I mean, no, the guy he's still yeah. gave you 200 innings, finished, you know, in the top 10 in NL in strikeouts. Obviously, the home runs are concerning, but you know, look, I mean, you look at his 43 starts with the Padres. I mean, three seven one ERA, averaging you know a strikeout inning and. 
go, you know, giving you six to seven, you know, quality innings most starts, you'll take that. And, and I think there's absolutely value this idea that he's a waste or a bust or, or other teams aren't going to want to pay him. Uh, I think is is very very far from the truth. Uh, especially yeah. again, given given next year's free agent pitching market, I think the combination of, of that plus him, you know. Sensing that his time might be running out to get a World Series ring and to and to really you know finish his career off in that on a winning team, I, I think he I, I think he opts out pretty pretty quickly. Yeah, no, I hear you. You know, you know, Kyle, thank you so much for for being on. Uh, we really appreciate it. I got one one last uh, question, one last assessment that uh, that I'd like from you, uh, and that's regards to uh, Javier Guerra in Lake Elsinore, who's uh, struggling really badly right now. Um, you know. I wrote a piece today uh, about his struggles. Um, you know, do you see him coming out of that? He's very young, so to put to put him as a bust is is obviously way too early. But uh, what do you see in this young man, and do you see him uh, potentially coming out of uh, the slump that he's in? Um. So the answer to that is it, it depends on him. Um, I think that he. So the biggest thing you see, and this is where it gets to see why I'm I'm always kind of against ranking guys who are in you know low A uh, ever as a number one prospect in an organization, because the biggest thing you know once you get past that low A point is when your sk- your raw skill isn't good enough anymore. Starting in high A is when pitchers start having the ability to command multiple multiple pitches for strikes and exploiting holes in your swing. And so I, I always say high A is is the first great separator, and the second great separator is high A to double A. Those are the two big separators. If you can get to double A, you're in good shape. Um, and, and what's happening with Garrett right now is, is you know, he pitchers have found the holes in his swing. They found ways to attack him, and he has not responded. Um, you know, he's... He, was swinging out of way too many pitches early, and now he's taking too many and, and kind of overcorrected. Um, I mean, you you say, hey, you know, he, he he did this last year and it looked great, but if you don't have strike zone recognition, it doesn't matter what skills you have. I mean, you can you can have the best raw power in the world. You can be a supreme athlete. You can be, uh, you know, the most you know gifted contact hitter in the world with the best hand-eye coordination a scout's ever seen. If you swing at you know balls you know three feet off the plate where the length of the bat can't can't get to it, and then you you know start not understanding what pitchers are trying to do to get you out, mm-hmm. none of it matters. I mean yeah. it, that's at the point where tools are irrelevant, and that's why I was saying people oh he's so toolsy. Tools are irrelevant once you get to you know double A because yeah. at that point everyone has tools. It's a matter of can you do the mental things to adjust. Yeah. So, I think, you know, the answer of can Javier Guerra get out of this, that's up to him. And it's not going to be his tools that get him out of it. It's going to be his mental approach and how he, you know, if, if he starts to figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. and, and right now, you know, it took a day off yesterday. Maybe it'll help him clear his head and, and we'll see. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's tough when you see a, a young ball player like that struggle. But you, you got to remember that he's still 20 years old and, you know, he he still should have a bright future ahead of him. And like you say, it's a mental game, and he just has to figure that out. And uh, hopefully, uh, the Padres can uh, employ some some veteran players or, or coaches that uh, that help him with make strides with with his swing and, and with his approach at the plate. 
Yeah, you know, and it's funny. Listen, he's a good kid. He's not. It's not like he's not smart. And you talk to him, and against the trans, I mean, look, he's smart. He, he. I think he gets it. But it's one thing to get it and then you know put it into a game. And, and you know, I just saw his most recent at at bats on Monday against Lake Elsinore, and he looked like a guy whose confidence was just was just had bottomed out. Just was kind of going wow. there and just didn't didn't know what was going on and almost, you know, taking his strikeouts. It actually reminded me, do you remember a few years ago when Brad Hopp was with the Padres and it was yes. the saddest thing because you know, <laughs> Colorado he had hit, you know, three thirty and, and looked great and then he came to the Padres. It looked like he was just going up there expecting to strike out. That that was what Javier Guerra looked like when I saw Monday. And it was sad because you know there's talent there, but He's got to figure some things out uh, in terms of what, yeah. what he needs to do, and then getting his confidence back because you know that's 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 pretty key. Definitely, I mean, one thing's a veteran player, you know, getting along in the tooth and, and feeling uh, feeling a little bit inadequate, but a young player of his ilk shouldn't uh, shouldn't have these feelings. You know, at this point, it's you know, it's a confidence thing, and hopefully, the, the Padres can get him on, on the right track. Yeah. Um, you know, Kyle, we're we're running out of time right here. I want to thank you so much for for coming on. We we have plenty more to talk to you about. You know, hopefully in the future we can we can do this again. And uh, uh, you know, I just want to thank you so much for for coming on and talking to us. Absolutely, my pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. That that uh, folks, this is Kyle Glazer. Uh, recently started at uh, Baseball America this week. Uh, you know, follow him uh, at Kyle Glazer and and uh, look for his stuff, uh, his content uh, about uh, a lot of the Southern California baseball uh, teams. And, you know, it's, it's great to hear and, and talk to you, Kyle. And uh, once again, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Take care, Kyle. Take care. All right, folks, that, uh, that uh, wraps up our uh, episode with Kyle. He's uh, you know, a wealth of information. It's nice to be able to talk to someone who's uh, you know, down in Lake Elsinore and uh, almost on a daily basis and, and talking to these young players and, and getting an idea of, of what they have going for them. Um, Patrick, any thoughts on Kyle before we, uh, before we get out of here? Yeah, a lot of good stuff to say. I mean, he's, he's been around. He knows what he's talking about. He sees these guys play. Um, really, really great insight. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we promise to be back shortly. Uh, we have a great, uh, great group of guests lined up. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, finding the time to get it out here and, and get it to you guys. But we promise to uh, be back shortly with uh, our next episode. Um, Patrick, you want to lead us out? And uh, I think we're good to go. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're on iTunes, as always, East Village Times podcast. Uh, we're also on Stitcher, East Village Times podcast. Um, we are hosted on Podbean, so you can give us a follow on there. Um, I'm on Twitter at That's So Padres. James is EVT underscore news. Give us both a follow. Send us tweets. We like to talk to you guys. Stay in touch. Yes, definitely. Send us tweets, thoughts, concerns, questions, anything you got. We, uh, we're definitely uh, able and willing to talk to you guys. Um, thank you so much again for listening to our podcast. Uh, this was episode 22 of the East Village Times podcast. Signing out.